You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Bristow, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you, and, and live streamers, great to have you. SOSers, great to have you. Man. Um, <clears throat> Um, so um, I'm going to try to keep this to an hour and 45 minutes. So uh, you could just, you know, buckle up. And no, actually, we're going to try to keep this to just at 20 minutes. So uh, try to get us out on time. So, so let's, uh, let's dive right in. Our scripture this morning <coughs> is one of the most used and abused verses uh, in the New Testament. It's the judge not verse. You know that one where Jesus says, don't judge or you too will be judged. That's a, a verse that uh, is abused widely in our culture. I, and, uh, and, you know, we feel the heat of it a little bit, don't we? Um, let me give you an example of how, how, that's, uh, how it's uh, twisted just a little bit. A couple years ago, CNN anchor Wolf Blitzer was interviewing basketball superstar and multi-Emmy award-winning broadcaster Charles Barkley. Do you know who Charles Barkley is? We got, we got, we got Charles. There he is. His, his kinda, it's kind of coming at you there, but uh, his nickname is Sir Charles. And, uh, and uh, Charles is kind of an interesting guy. He's kind of a cultural icon in a way. He's kind of a thought leader, not just in sports, I think, but in, in, in the culture as well. And a few years ago, he was entertaining the idea of running for the governorship of Alabama. And he had just changed political parties. He switched from uh, being a kind of a conservative Republican to becoming a a more liberal Democrat. And so he was thinking about becoming a politician, right? And so Wolf Blitzer of CNN is interviewing him. And, and, And Wolf says, you used the phrase, fake Christians for conservatives. Okay, let's, let's time out. Lots of sports references. Please excuse me. But, but uh, uh, not all Christians are conservatives, obviously, and not all conservatives are Christians, obviously. So Charles is a little bit off on that, but he's, he's, he's worth listening to because he's kind of an example of secular thinking and also how the secular world has experienced the church. So let's, let's look at what, what uh, uh, went on in this interview. Sir Charles says, well, I think they, they want to be judge and jury. Like, I'm for gay marriage. It's none of my business if gay people want to get married. I'm pro-choice. And I think these Christians, they're supposed to be, well, they're not supposed to judge other people. But they're the most hypocritical judge of people we have in this country. And it bugs the hell out of me that they act like they're Christians, but they're not forgiving at all. <laughs> and so at this point, Wolf Blitzer, who's Jewish, pushes back on that. He's going, whoa, you're running for office? And he says, but you can't lump all these conservatives as being fake. A lot of them, obviously, most of them are very, very sincere in their religious beliefs. And then Sir Charles, he just kind of leaves it with this. I just love him because he's just so honest, right? He says, well, they should read the part of the Bible where they're not supposed to judge other people. (laughs) They forget that one when it doesn't fit what they want to say. 
I just love, I just love that honesty. And, and I just love the guy. Uh, but, but the truth is, is that we hear that kind of stuff all day long, don't we? In the culture, we hear that all day long, right? And if we're honest, we feel just a little bit of heat. Uh, obviously, Christians are being misrepresented in this dialogue, and uh, uh, but so what now what? I mean, Christians have always been misrepresented, right? Read the book of Acts, <laughs> right? Read a little church history. Christians have always been misrepresented. To me, this is the question for me, and I, I think probably for a lot of you, it's, it's how do we honor God and do what he says when our whole world is opposed to God? That's the landscape. And our experience is that our lives in the kingdom are always directly in conflict with the world. That's the cold, hard truth, right? And the rub is, is that we live in this tension every day. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we're living in that tension. And so I think that the question then becomes, how do we then respond? Tough question. I think, I, I think we better pray. So let, let, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, uh, we, th- we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you have confronted us. And, uh, and Lord, we just want to honor you, and we just want to obey you. Uh, but we ask something from you. Would you honor us with your sweet presence now? Come, Holy Spirit. Come rest upon us now. Come teach us what you have to say for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first thing that we, we need to do when uh, the, the difficult questions and, uh, and the complicated issues come at us, and they do, is, uh, is, is we need to go to the scriptures. That's, that's what we do. What we want to do is we want to make the plain teachings of scripture the main things that we believe and we do. That's what we want to do. We, we want to make sure that the main thing in our lives is, is the plain Teachings of Jesus. That's what we want to do. And in fact, we, we call that the main and the plain. It's actually, it's a vineyard value in our, in our church organization. The main and the plain is a thing. And, and we, we just want to keep the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. And, 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 and that's how we interpret scripture. We just want to take a, a, a plain reading of what Jesus is saying and then make that the main thing that we, that, that we do. And so... And so our culture doesn't do that. Our culture wants to take simple things and make them complex. They want to take plain things and make it complex. So, so you, you have a, 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 a plain, plain verses that Jesus says, and, and, and they've been sort of twisted and made complex, and, and, and they, it's just not a plain reading of Scripture. So, so this is what we need to do right now. 
in order to find out what Jesus is saying, we need to get the main and the plain of Jesus' word. So, so this is from Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured, measured to you. So, is Jesus saying that we need to remain neutral? Morally neutral. Is that what he's saying? Is Jesus saying that we need to have no opinions? Is Jesus saying uh, that we need to have no convictions about social issues? You know, the, 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 what, you know, whatever you do, stay morally neutral and don't confront the culture. Is that what he's saying? Of course he's not saying that. The whole Sermon on the Mount is one massive confrontation of people and culture. The kingdom of God and the king are both confronting people and the culture. Of course that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is don't be judgy. That's the title of this message. Don't be judgy. That's the first point. Don't be judgy. He's saying, don't pass judgment on other people. He's saying, don't condemn people. Uh, the most condemning, the most judgy person in the New Testament, of course, was Saul before he became St. Paul. He was, he was passing judgment so hard on the people of the way, that's what Christians were called before they were called Christians, <clears throat> that they, they, they started killing them. They started killing them. And, and, and sadly, when we become condemning of other people, we, we kill people spiritually. And, and sometimes people in the world have been the, the object of that. I think that's some of the heat from Sir Charles. And, uh, um, and so Jesus doesn't like that either. So what did Jesus do? Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's going to get more Christians, round them up, condemn them. And Jesus appears to him, knocks him down, introduces himself to him. Saul eventually repents. That's when he becomes St. Paul. Uh, and then, he, and then he, he goes out into the desert for about 14 years. We don't know what he was doing, but he was kind of crunching the numbers of everything that he'd studied in the Law and the Prophets and Jesus' revelation to him, and he comes back, he writes some epistles. His most powerful epistle is the book of, of the Romans, and this is what Paul says about Jesus' words in Romans 2. He says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's just devastating. <laughs> He's saying, don't pass judgment. He says, don't do it. He says, he says, he says uh, don't hold judgment over your spouse's head so that you feel superior. He's saying, quit passing judgment on your boss whom you don't get along with again and again and again. Even when you're right, when you become judgy, you put yourself in the wrong. So even when you're right, you're wrong. 
He says, don't do it. Why would you do that to yourself? Don't do that. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a good thing to think about. Um, This is something that God will judge you for. Check this out, verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? There it is. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Ah, talk about missing it. Passing judgment is just serious stuff. It's not good. It doesn't end well. Um, so, So how do we stop passing judgment? How do we stop condemning? Let's look at the main and plain of Jesus' words again. So the first part, the first two verses were about, um, uh, what was it? What was the first point? Don't be judgy, right? Don't be judgy. It's what to do. Now, verses three through five are about how to do that, how to not be judgy. So, So here it is. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye but ignore the plank (laughs) and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How do you say to your brother, here, let me get that speck out of your eye, when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. I mean, it's a ridiculous visual, but it's a great visual, isn't it? I mean, what a great visual. There's a stand-up comedian in New York City who, who's actually a, a, a Christian as well. And he says, if you were to read this passage in a club in New York, it would elicit laughs. You'd get laughs. It's such a ridiculous visual, right? I mean, the visual. You know, can't you see a, a, a physical comedian like um, uh, Steve Martin? Steve Martin, yeah, Jerry Lewis. Steve Martin. Say, hey, that would be great skit material. Can you imagine? Excuse me, excuse me, I, 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 I happen to notice that you have a speck of sawdust in your eye. I just, would you, uh, would you help me help you uh, to get that speck? I just hold, that's hold steady. Oh, it's ridiculous, right? It's just dumb. It's just dumb. Yeah, thank you. That's not the point. It's dumb. I like being dumb. No, uh, but the reason that it's so ridiculous is that it's pointing out the absurdity of hypocrisy. The word hypocrite or hypocrisy means play acting, like you're acting in a play. And and what it really means is you're pretending like a five-year-old. You're pretending that nobody sees this, right? And you're trying to make yourself feel feel better by helping someone else. It's it's absurd. It's 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 pointing out that we haven't dealt with our stuff as believers. So the second point, and and there's only two points in this short sermon, (laughs) thankfully, uh, is deal with your stuff. That's it. The second point is deal with your stuff by repenting. This is your stuff. 
right? These are, this is your stuff. And the Bible says if we don't acknowledge that we have stuff, we're liars. So we all have this, right? It's around. What repentance is, it's, it's very simply this. It's we're going towards our stuff, right? We're engaging in our stuff. And then we turn. We turn, and as we walk the other way, our stuff falls away. Boom! That's all it is. That's repenting. The way that we deal with our stuff is by repenting. But, 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 but what, is, what, what, what is our stuff? What is dealing with our, our stuff? The technical word for dealing with our stuff is uh, um, becoming self-aware. Self-aware. It's kind of a buzzword now. It's in, it's everywhere. There's libraries full of uh, books and seminars and podcasts on becoming uh, self-aware. It's understanding your emotions that are within you. It's managing your behaviors and people uh, as, as, as you do your business. It's, it's making good choices and securing good outcomes for your life. And it's so good. I study it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I really started studying it when I took a new job. I was living in Texas, and I, and I took a new teaching job. All of my students were suffering from severe emotional disturbances. They had stuff. Let me tell you, not only because they were in middle school. That's stuff enough. You're in middle school, right? You know that. But, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but they, had, they were suffering from, from things like... Um, Psychotic breaks, psychotic disorders, severe bipolar disorders, severe conduct disorders, which just means we don't know what it means. We don't know why. But they were so severe that they couldn't be in a regular general ed classroom. And, and, you, and, and that's, you know, it's all about integration today. So, so they had stuff. And I quickly found out that just teaching them to be more self-aware didn't work. It wasn't working with real stuff. And I started to reflect on my own life. And I thought about what was it that makes me, enables me to be more self-aware? What is it that enables me to really deal with my stuff, to kind of get after it? And, and I recalled when I was a, a young Christian in Southern California, and I went to the Anaheim Vineyard Church, and the pastor's name was John Wimber. He's one of the pioneers of the vineyard. <clears throat> and, and, and it seemed like, like every time he got up to preach, and it was just like thousands he would repent about something he'd done the week before. I mean, it was very current. It was like he'd repent about saying something to somebody in the hallway at work that week. He'd repent before thousands, you know, or, or he'd repent about saying something about the TV preachers that found its way into last week's sermon. You know, he just, he would always repent. And I, and, and I thought, who does that? Why would he do that to himself? <laughs> and I saw God's hand on him. And, and I thought, huh, you know, I learned how to do that when I was there. I, I can teach that. I know how to do that. I'm going to just teach these kids how to repent. And, and so I did that. And, and, and I was in Texas. Then I moved to Fort Collins, and I got a job with PSD. I got the same job. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm just going to teach them how to repent, you know. <clears throat> and uh, we tracked their behaviors. We had a social worker who tracked their behaviors 
and, and, and graft it and send it into the headquarters, right, every day. And when, when we started teaching about repentance, their behavior suddenly drastically changed, and, and we had the graft to prove it, you know, because we taught repentance day after day after day, week after week, year after year, because I had them for more than one year. And the upshot was that their behaviors changed drastically. They became more self-aware. They dealt with their stuff. So much so that the assistant superintendent of public schools came into my classroom for a whole hour to find out what was going on. And you know what he found? A bunch of kids and their teacher learning how to repent. Deal with your stuff. It'll change your life. How? By repenting. So as we wrap up, uh, I want us to take a couple of steps back. You're seated, so you can't do that. Metaphorically, take a couple of steps back. Let's get a bigger perspective on, on what this text is really about and, uh, and maybe what God is telling you specifically. This is, this is what I think it is. Uh, God really, really loves people. And God wants us, us, to love people like he loves people. I think that's what this is about. And when we get judgy and we hurt people and we get condemning and we hurt people and we fail to deal with our stuff and that always hurts people, and we're too proud to repent, and we hurt people, we're not loving him. And we say that we love God, but we don't love people. And you know what? That just isn't how it is. In fact, the metric for how much we love God is how much we love people. And that's what he wants from us. So love people. Don't get judgy. Deal with your stuff. Repent of your sins. Let's pray.